0: Now that I'm sober, I'm like embarrassed. Like, how could I beat opiates and, and meth and heroin and all these heavy drugs and then get my butt kicked by cake?
1: Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Breanne davis Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Adam. Now, Adam, I have a question for you. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. What is your secret?
0: My big secret for the longest time was my addiction. And not just my addiction to drugs, but to sex and food and all kinds of stuff.
1: Ooh, so you're like a -a whack-a-mole person too.
0: Yes, very much
1: so. (laughs) You know, like what you put one thing down, something else pops up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell me about it.
1: So can you name for me how many addictions you have or can you name them?
0: Yeah, I mean, so off the top of my head, there's alcoholism and drug addiction. Those are those are kind of the big ones. And especially I write about those ones. But then there's the one that, you know, I still have a lot of shame around is the sex addiction um and then there's the food addiction, that's for sure. And then there's probably others. I would be willing to bet I have a video game addiction. Mm. Um and you know, like a writing addiction. Maybe that one's a good one though.
1: Like a workaholic. Um, no, see, if yes, you're like exactly. if you lose yourself in it, that's when it yeah. becomes bad, right?
0: Right, right. Yeah, wow, so, so I think you alcohol. have
1: six at least, six.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in there.
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm only saying that because I have it too. Like I'll do the food sure. and then I'll do like overworking out or, mm. you know, self-obsessed. I mean, I, yes. I'm, I'm right there with you.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So when did you notice that these addictions were flaring up? When was your AKA bottom?
0: So, um, I mean, I noticed that they were bad, especially with the alcoholism and drug addiction by the time I was like 20, probably 20 or 21. And I only started only, but I started when I was 17. Mm -hmm. So I had people at the age of 18, you know, and like middle of 17. So within like six months or so, people were saying, dude, you got a problem. You do not drink and use normally. And so, you know, it just became, and then when I got on opiates, things just like, you know, took wow. off.
1: What were the opiates you used?
0: Um, so I started with, uh, Oxycontin and yeah. that, that was my drug of choice for a long time. Um, and it was fairly easy for me to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found because I was really good at meeting old people, I guess. I don't know. They all seem to have <laughs> that, Oxycontin. That's
1: so random. I'm really I good know, at meeting right? old people.
0: <laughs> it it was really a bizarre skill to learn that I had. Um, wow. Yeah. But then the food stuff, that didn't come. I mean, that started at a much younger age, but I didn't really see it as a problem until I'd been sober for a number of years. And the same with the sex addiction. I didn't even really realize that it was that kind of, that it was an addiction um, until I'd been sober a number of years. And I could sort of think clearly.
1: So first let's hit the opiate one, right? I'm interested in this because I haven't talked about it. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, have got prescribed oxycontin and i took it for two days and i'm Mm -hmm. not kidding coming off that was the worst headache it is the worst feeling ever i was like i see how people get addicted to this i don't have that drug thing i don't Mm -hmm. mine's all sex and love but right like what what was the high you liked from it and then how was that bottom
0: yeah. So the high was so different from everything that I experienced before with like alcohol and, you know, like cocaine and meth. I experimented with everything as soon oh, wow. as I learned. Yeah. I was like, Oh, marijuana's not bad. Um, I have been lied to by Nancy Reagan. Uh, you know, it's like not nearly as bad as all the TV shows and the commercials tell you it is. So I'm going to try everything, but opiates were like, They were smooth and they allowed me to think and I didn't lose control. And Mm -hmm. I very much, there's another addiction, control.
1: Control, Uh, yeah. I feel like that's like the base of all addictions. We want control, right?
0: Totally, totally. And the bottom came when, I mean, it it rapidly went downhill. um, Once I got onto opiates, because I started selling them, it was the only way I could afford them. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was keeping that addiction secret, not just from my parents, so that they would continue to give, because I was in school, Mm -hmm. I was in college, and they were sending me money that I would, you know, funnel into the drugs and then try to make it back. But also hiding it from other addicts, other mm. people I would drink with who, who were very clearly alcoholics who were like, whoa, what are you doing with this hard stuff? And I, no, no, I gave that up. I don't do that stuff. So wow. it was this bizarre layering of, of secrets from different, you know, people, people who you wouldn't think you'd have to keep it secret from.
1: Right. Like that shame. You already felt that. So you were keeping yeah. it from other addicts who we all yeah. do the same thing and for the same reasons.
0: Right, really. right. So
1: when was that bottom? How did that look?
0: So it looked bad. I mean, I eventually got raided. I was in Kansas and we got raided. We, me and my roommate were both selling drugs out of this mm. apartment and mm-hmm. we got raided by the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Oh, which, wow. Yeah. You were on that list.
1: You were on that list. <laughs> exactly.
0: And I didn't even know they existed until they bust through my door. You know, I was like, oh, I guess you guys are a thing. I didn't <laughs> know each state had their own. Um, <laughs> but that, that was kind of the rock bottom in terms of, it, it killed the ability for me to keep selling because it, I always tell people it's like being robbed. They took my money, they took my drugs, they took my guns and then they left.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and then after that things kept going, got worse and worse. I was getting DUIs and wrecking cars because I always switched from opiates to alcohol back and forth. Right. And, and then, you know, I started to get really suicidal um, because they did, they didn't arrest me. They didn't arrest either they of didn't. us. They
1: what? Yeah. Yeah. I was about to be- say, how long did you spend in jail? And you yeah, said- <laughs>
0: you You would think so, right? No, they, yeah. they took everything and they were like, we're going to have to run this all through a lab. And it took them a year and a half to analyze everything. So <laughs> they weren't going to arrest us in the meantime. Well, my my roommate was like manufacturing all kinds of weird stuff. He he was a very weird drug kind of guy. He'd come in and be like, I have some ket- ketamine. Do you want some? Said, sure. I don't know how you got that or why you have it, because we're in the middle of Kansas, in the middle of nowhere. But a cornfield—you're
1: in the middle of a cornfield, and he's like bringing out all these crazy drugs.
0: Yeah. So okay,
1: so you didn't get arrested. I guess uh, that's bad, and it's good at the same time. It
0: it was bad because I—I kind of wish I had, because I—I got really suicidal, and I attempted suicide twice uh, not too long after that, and that was really the rock bottom
1: how did you, how did you attempt that?
0: So the first time was like, not quite like actually going for it, but I went out and I spent whatever money I had left over at the time on as many different drugs as I could get that were downers. And I bought a lot of alcohol and I bought a gun. Um, But thankfully my girlfriend at the time, I didn't have a car because of this DUI, one of the DUIs I'd gotten. So my Mm -hmm. girlfriend at the time was driving me to all these places and she knew what was going on. So she just didn't leave for like three days Mm. and we went through all the dope. and I was like, well, I'm not just going to shoot myself because I'm so scared of messing it up. uh, And, you know, being brain damaged for the rest of my life. So I never went through with it, but the second time um, she and I got in a huge, and now she was using a lot of opiates with me. um, And I stole a bunch of money from her to buy opiates and I didn't share. So that might've been probably one of the big reasons she was upset during, during this argument about this money I stole. Um, I ended up eating a big handful of pills and, and re and I hadn't really intended that. But then as soon as I did it, I said, yes, this is what I want. Um, and thankfully I, you know, I got, um, some people, I ended up walking out and I was, my intention was to die in this alley and listen to some music and my, my, uh, headphones and my phone died. So I wandered into this like labor ready place and passed out in front of some people and they called oh. an ambulance and revived me. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Wow. I mean, a part of me is thinking like, it's, it sounds like a movie, you know, like right. going <laughs> onto a bridge, listening to sad music and right. But it's like, for, for that, your phone to die and for you to yeah. wander that's the only thing that saved you.
0: It, it really was. And, you know, looking back to me, cause I worked the 12 steps looking back to me, that was like one of those moments that was like, this is a higher power working in your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had those two and it's almost like an out of body experience where Very much somebody so. is taking care of you and you don't know how you got yep. to where you were to get help.
0: Yep. Yep. yep exactly.
1: Wow. Um, I do want to talk about the, the eating too, because you said sure. it started young. What was yours after you, you know, got sober in 12 step, how long have you been sober?
0: So I got sober. I've been sober a little over nine years. I got Yay. sober in 2011. Yeah.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when you take, when we, If you're listening and you're not in a 12 step program, we you go and you you do all this self-analyzation with someone else and you dig up all this crap and you Mm -hmm. found out you were also addicted to eating. What were those behaviors like?
0: So those started at a much younger age, um, you know, I, I, looking back, I think I always overate. Um, yeah, I me always too. wanted more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was never able to get myself to purge, but I, every now and then I would get into these, you know, the exercising, um, what do they call it? Exercise, um, anorexic or whatever.
1: Right. 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 Um
0: And but I mean, I would in high school, for example, I would every day after I got out of school, I would go home and I would eat a box, a whole box of Cheez-Its like the family size Cheez-Its and I would drink like six Mountain Dews and then I would have dinner. (laughs) So it was really out of control. um, As long as I can remember, I always just wanted more food. I wanted sugary foods. I wanted fatty foods, all the bad stuff.
1: Anything that it it sets off that in your head, like that euphoria. And then after you're done eating, you always like crash.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I regret it. I feel so ashamed of that. I've done this yet again.
1: Do you still do that to this day? Do you have those Um, moments?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, That's been, the food has been one of the biggest struggles, I think, even more than the, the alcoholism in the drug, because with alcohol and drugs, you just, you have, you're either on them or you're off. Yeah. You know? It's very
1: but, black and white.
0: Yeah, it is. But you have to eat, you have to walk yeah. the tiger three times a day. And, um, you know, it is, it has been so hard for me, um, to get on board with, cause there's foods where it's really clear to me. Yeah. I can't eat anything sugary anymore, but there's other stuff where it's like, man, I can't have French fries. Yeah. I can't have it's so hard for me to get it like just narrows so much and it's food is such a part of life and and like it's a such celebration
1: a yeah such a social mm-hmm. thing and i find when i eat sugar it does mm. the same it sets off this it's almost like cocaine for me i yeah i can feel it rushing down my arm
0: yes like it's like this absolutely.
1: like i almost start shaking and i'm like <gasps> you know yeah. and then yeah. it, it, i tell my husband i'm like if i eat you know this piece of cake i'm going to want a piece of cake every day all the time right. it's like yeah. this addictive thing does that happen for you too am i the only oh, one yeah. <laughs> no
0: no it's the same thing i mean if i if i eat a slice of pizza i want the whole pizza and especially with sugar stuff i mean yeah. i will get I will get like, oh, I'm just going to get a slice. And then I'm looking over at my wife's plate. Like what, what's going on with that situation? You look like you're going kind of slow. You're done, are you finished? Do you
1: want, do you want all of that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Does your wife realize when you, you're doing that? Does she do it also? I mean, I don't want to give her secret away, but. Sure,
0: sure. No, she's, she's not a food addict at all, but she does recognize it. Especially since, you know, I got into, uh, overeaters anonymous and we mm. talked a lot about it so she knows when it's happening but she's powerless to do anything over it when i'm in the when i'm in the sugar i you know i it's like you said it's as bad as coke i it mean is. i might as well be doing that
1: but here's my question for you are you now that you're in overeaters and i know a ton of people in overeaters yeah. do you like when you're wanting that sugar it, is there any way you can talk yourself out of it now? Do you have those tools yet? Do you like sit there and say, "Why do I want this?" and I'll, Do you do that?
0: I tr- I try to, but you know, I I haven't had sugar in a long time. But you know, I the there's still stuff where it's like I cannot talk myself out of it. I cannot, and and I get resentful. I get really mad that I can't have these yeah. foods. You know? and you
1: like get mad at those normies that are like, yeah. This one girl I knew one time, she would like go eat with me and she'd be like, Oh, I hate food. I don't even like yeah. want to eat this. And I'm like, who are you and what is wrong with you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Screw you. Cause my wife has all kinds of sugary foods that she can have in moderation and she can be okay eating it. And I will, but I still do get that. Like I open the fridge and I'm staring way yeah. too long at the food that I know I can't have.
1: Wow. I mean, that must be hard for it being in the house.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's like um, for a long time, I was trying to hide that, too, that this was a problem because I was just for some odd reason. Well, I guess when I'm high, I don't care what people think, really. Yeah. But now that I'm sober, I'm like embarrassed. Like, how could I beat opiates and, and meth and heroin and all these heavy drugs and then getting my butt kicked by cake? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: Kind of love that. That's like the best slogan ever. (laughs) But I I think a lot of people have the same problems. I'm hoping you're listening and thinking, oh, I do that too. So we don't feel so alone. But I hear a lot of people they have a hard time putting down the food. It's Mm -hmm. it's because it's attached to so many things in our life.
0: It is. It is. I mean, we went on this trip to Italy and I was trying so hard not to not to go off of my food plan, but it was mm-hmm. like such a deep part of that culture. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, how can I travel to Italy and not have pasta? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like,
1: well, my husband, I... people would say to him, cause he's in AA and he's been 30 mm-hmm. uh, sober for 32 years and he would go to oh, Italy wow. and people are like, how can you not drink wine in Italy? Yeah. And he's like, Yep. I just can't. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just can't have pasta. I can't uh-huh. have that, you know, whatever yeah. dessert they have there.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Totally.
1: Now, I also, I love that you have the whack a mole because I, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one. But you <laughs> yeah. about the sex one, I'm really excited mm-hmm. to talk to you about a sex because I have to tell the audience and everybody listening. It's very hard for me to get men to come on here and talk about their sex addiction.
0: Sure. Oh yeah. I I totally get that. I wonder how much of that is like a societal thing, but it is um, it is something where it was like because for me it always felt predatory. You know what I mean? It it felt like I was doing something that was a level beyond. It wasn't just I was sleeping around. It was Mm. I am like I am. It's part of this game that's not really a game it's like i am doing things that i know i shouldn't be doing and i feel ashamed of that
1: do you think it's because especially with the me too movement and things happening Mm -hmm. that there's more stigma like it's something you can go to jail for or be sued for
0: Mm -hmm. because i'm having
1: the hardest time finding people to talk about it and you wouldn't think i've been in i've been in my sex program for 11 years and it's so hard for me to find people
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think society is, like you said, there's been a reckoning and there's been so many people who are like severe, they're like psychopathic predators, you know? And so to, to have some sort of, to be doing this, taking this action that feels like something that those people I despise are doing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's like, it's far more shameful than to me. And I felt far more guilty about it than, um, you know, the way I was acting with the alcohol and the drugs and the food.
1: Well, here's my thing. And I was having a conversation and see if you agree with me with Mm -hmm. another fellow in my program. And I said, Mm -hmm. the difference between people like Harvey Weinstein, other than they, they all, we all do it for power and control. Usually, but, I feel like when someone stands up and says, I have done these things, I am not mm-hmm. proud of it, I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to change, I'm doing the work. There's something beautiful with that than a Harvey Weinstein who stands up there and says, I didn't do anything wrong. Like taking yeah. responsibility. Do you think once you take responsibility that that shame lifts for you or no?
0: Yeah, I for me, I think it does. I don't know that that happens to everyone, but for me, it very much does it's it's um it's a freeing feeling to say, "I have done these things, and I am um sorry for that. you know, I regret it because just saying that I regret it that helps me to differentiate myself from myself from these people who I know don't regret it. I know or they regret getting caught, right yeah. They don't regret what they did.
1: So what did your sex addiction look like
0: So back when the problem was a lot of that was really wrapped up in my drug addiction especially mm-hmm. um, and so like for example the first time I got sober um, I started sleeping around as much as I could and it was oh, very yeah. much I am chasing a feeling I want to change the way I feel and I no longer have dope to do that and women is, you know, they're the next best thing. And it became very much this objectification. It became very much, I am trying to find anyone who, you know, not who will sleep with me, but who I can convince to sleep with me.
1: Ooh, It was Um, like the game, more like the conquest.
0: Exactly. And then, and then once I did it, you know, once I managed the conquest, then I felt really ashamed of it. Or, you know, I was sleeping with, you know, I would have, I would almost always have a girlfriend at the time. So I'm cheating on her. So I'm hiding. There's this another way yeah, of too. <laughs> hiding. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause I can't, cause I'm so selfish. I can't just. Sleep around. I have to have someone who's always ready to go. Yeah. You know?
1: It's all about you and and instant yep. gratification, but also someone yep. stable there to be there for you. Like you're like the end all be all.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so I mean, it was like and it, it was really um during that time, it, this was my first attempt at sobriety, and I failed it as a direct result of my sex behavior because I was sleeping around at my home group and with I which I do not Ooh. recommend. No, do not
1: 13 step people, people. No, no,
0: it was bad. And eventually I got confronted um, for sleeping with someone's girlfriend. And then my girlfriend confronted me about it, like all at the same moment. And because I was sober, I felt the guilt and the shame that I wouldn't have felt if I was high. So I went and got high.
1: Wow. Well, here's I was just talking to um, a recovery Got, uh, he runs all these recovery houses and he told mm-hmm. me the main reason people lose their sobriety is over relationships. That's the I number that. one thing sex and love take people down.
0: Yeah. I totally believe that. I mean, I, I, that's what happened to me and I've seen it happen to a lot of guys where they, they get in this relationship and that the love it's the love addiction. A lot of the mm-hmm. time I think is worse sometimes than the yeah. sex addiction because they, they, they get in the relationship, and that it's all about the relationship. It's all about the girl. It's all about this family. And I mean, I have a very good friend who was sober four years, and he moved and he mm-hmm. stopped working this program. It was all about the wife and the kids until one day he saw someone smoking meth on like a, on a news program. You know, he was watching mm-hmm. the news, and mm-hmm. off and off he went, and he, it was totally out of the blue.
1: Right. it's great. i I do remember this one specific moment when it was I was a year or two into the program, and this guy walked mm-hmm. in and he said, and when it was his turn to share, he said, I could like I could stop meth, but I mm-hmm. can't give her up, yeah, and it was such a powerful statement for me that like, this is a no joke disease,
0: yeah, uh-uh. it is not messing around. I got chills just hearing that because I yeah. mean it is. It is so dangerous. It's crazy how dangerous it
1: is. Yeah, more people are in jail, more people kill people over relationships. And I feel mm-hmm. like our society sometimes likes to glamorize it and like sure. falling in oh, love, yeah. having sex, being over-sexualized. Mm-hmm. Do you think that has played into you, your sex addiction?
0: Absolutely. And I think a lot of it is was like expectations for men. You know, mm. and, how, and how men are supposed to be men through this conquest. Right. The more the more people you've slept with, the uh, the more of a man you are. That's um,
1: crazy.
0: Yeah. And, and I've run into that with so many sponsees where we get to, you know, the sex inventory and the, yeah, fourth the numbers step, and they're and they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed that they're low. And there and I said, well, I won't have much to put on there, man. And I'm like, you should be proud of that. That's a good thing. Plus, it'll make your life easier for a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, that to me is nuts that a man would think if he had a lower number, it would make him less of a man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that absolutely played a role in, you know, how I thought about what I was doing, because it was like, yeah, I know this is bad. But at the same time, it's good in this bizarre way.
1: Yeah. Here's my other question for you. And you might not answer it and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Okay. But do you have the other thing men don't like to talk about is their addiction to the porn addiction to masturbation. And have you paid for sex?
0: No, I haven't. Um, And I think a lot of that just came from I don't know. It, to me, it was again, these expectations, it felt like if I paid for it, I was less of a man.
1: Mm. And,
0: and I had gone to, I mean, I, when I was 18, I went to, um, I went to Amsterdam. And, you know, we, I went to the red light district and I was like, I cannot bring myself to do this. Not because I feel it's wrong. Not at all. Because I, I feel like I am less of a man if I pay for it.
1: But because Um, I think your addiction and my addiction is not tied to the sex. Like you said, it's for me, it's like the power, the chase, the control over somebody else. And it's not real. The sex is actually not a big deal. Can you talk about if, you have that porn problem or the masturbation problem.
0: Yeah, I can. It's both. That's one thing, honestly, I'm grateful about is that I don't, you know, I no longer let that shame control me about these things. Um, You know, there is a lot of power, I think, in talking about it and being able to be open about it because the, if I try to hide it, it's just one more secret. I don't
1: need one more secret, right? It's one more thing. Anytime we try to hide something it's almost like we're killing our insides.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I found that, you know, I was really worried when I first got sober and started working in marketing, I was so worried about being professional and about, you know, having hiding from others now that I'm sober, that I'm sober, you know, all these things um, that I have problems with. And, you know, when I decided that I wasn't, You know, I was going to be open about my addiction on social media and start writing about it. I was like, why am I why am I hiding any of this? This one, it could help someone. um, But two, that's who I am. And to keep that a secret is is like keeping I'm keeping it from myself. And I'm I feel like I'm lying about who I am and what I've experienced.
1: My thing, too. And I I get like the anonymity and and finding their sobriety. But there gets to a point when you get to a certain years in the program where it's about being of service bigger than yeah. you. And that's yeah. what made me come out and say, listen, I'm a woman. I right. ha- am a sex and love addict. There are so many women in the program. And mm-hmm. I love that you reached out to me and you were like, I want to talk about these things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it makes a huge difference. I mean, because, again, porn addiction, how often do we talk about that in sort of a, you know, this is a societal problem. But how many men don't want to have anything to. Oh, of course, you know, I don't have a problem. But I remember some something in the news where it was like in Canada, they wanted to do a study on men who watch porn versus men who didn't watch porn and they mm-hmm. couldn't find any men who didn't watch porn for their study. And That's yet we crazy. don't want to talk about it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> anyway. and I think it is honestly ruining society. It's taking yeah. away. And that kids as yeah. young boys, as young as six mm-hmm. and eight are when they first watch porn and it desensitizes yeah. You know, the connection between a man and a woman or a woman and a woman, whatever your preference is.
0: Right. Do you feel that
1: that kept you disconnected from your relationship with your wife?
0: I think it did. I think it affected it heavily um, because I had unreasonable expectations for how she should look for Mm -hmm. how she should act um, Mm -hmm. for how, for what I deserved um, from a sexual standpoint, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, just putting these unreasonable expectations on our marriage. um, And I can absolutely, I could absolutely see how, if I allowed this to continue if I continued to watch the porn, which she didn't care about one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but if I continued to do it, I would not be okay with the way it was affecting how I looked at my wife.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. How honest, how brave to actually say that because a lot of men don't like to talk about it.
0: No. No, I think there's some deep shame around it. And but I mean, I think that there's that with sex just in general. There's so many taboos around it and every culture has uh, their own taboos. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's horrible. I think how how taboo a lot of it is, because if it wasn't so taboo, we could talk about it and maybe solve some of these problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah okay i'm gonna ask you the question it's about right. the seven deadly sins and i know we talked okay. a lot about a lot of a different addictions so you can tie mm-hmm. it to whichever one or all of them um, all right let me name them for you it's more of a character defects right. you know sense so we got pride greed lust mm-hmm. gluttony envy anger and sloth mm-hmm. do any of your addictions tie to those
0: Probably every single one. Ding especially. ding ding!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to answer it like that.
0: <laughs> especially pride, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I think pride is. I mean, gosh, how much how much of keeping a secret has to do with pride? And yeah. worrying about what other people
1: think. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I always say it's the ego in me.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think so many of the, because like wrath, why would I be getting half the time? I'm getting upset and angry mm-hmm. because my pride and my ego are being hurt. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. They're all tied together. Gluttony with the food, the sex, yep. greed, wanting mm-hmm. it all, wanting to cheat and then yeah. have a, all that stuff.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah,
1: totally. Now, if anybody's listening right now, what would be your advice for them if they're struggling, you know, with all those things, the porn, the masturbation, the eating, the alcohol, the drugs, what would be, since you have nine years of sobriety and your feet right. are on the ground, what right. would be your advice for them?
0: My advice is to, is to seek the help and it's okay if you need to keep it secret. I mean, that's why we have anonymity in
1: these yeah. programs.
0: Um but, I
1: kept it a secret for 10, 10 years, 10 and a half sure, years. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would say this is probably the first time talking to you that I've really been open about everything, you know, at once,
1: because I have to mention, if anyone is listening, when you emailed me, you didn't mention the food or the sex.
0: I didn't initially, but then, yeah. but then I thought about it and I was like, I need to be if that this that's the whole point of this podcast yeah
1: i know right? <laughs> i love it though but that was a secret that i didn't know when you came on
0: yeah yeah i i i think that um it that's my advice is to get it out to somebody even if it's just one person your sponsor or you know like it says in the big book a priest somebody mm-hmm. get it out, get that stuff out i had a—I had an old sponsor who um He found he had to get do a fifth step and he was in the middle of nowhere. And he literally found a farmer on a farm, I think in like Tennessee or something. And he just spilled his guts to this guy and never saw him again. And that was he just needed to do that. Somebody had to hear it, you know, for him to be free.
1: That's so interesting because my husband and I lately have been reading the 12 and 12. And I'm not this Mm -hmm. podcast is a knob about 12 step programs, but you're in a 12 step program. I'm in a 12 step program. So we get it. Like we were reading, we're reading the 12 and 12 at night and we were just reading. What is the point of doing a fifth step? Doesn't God hear your secrets? Doesn't God know all those Horrible things. And it's like, it's different when one other person can hear that truth. It's yes. almost like they're acting as a God.
0: For oh, that's so true. That's it. That's exactly what I always tell people is I am a stand in for your higher power, because Lord. there's a big difference between speaking into the air and looking someone in the eye and saying, this is what I have
1: done. These are all the horrible things I have done. And I'm ashamed. Yeah. And here's yeah. the beautiful thing, right? When you do that fifth step, it, the person usually looks at you and, and they're like, that's it. That's all you've yeah. done. You know? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not alone.
0: I, I have had some where I was like, Oh man, that was, I have never done anything that bad. Holy crap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky you.
0: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs>
1: Well, Adam, I'm so grateful for you reaching out to to me, coming on, speaking so openly about everything. I I truly am appreciative.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been great.
1: And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.
0: The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.